Hey again, everybody. Welcome into the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. I'm Scott Agnes. Well, the playoffs are here. The Indiana Pacers tip off the 2016 NBA postseason Saturday afternoon, 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll tip off against the Toronto Raptors across the border. Yeah, it's really early. And that throws off the clock of these NBA players. They're such routine guys. Used to getting up for shoot-around at 10 a.m., going back to the hotel and taking an hour nap, getting room service, heading to the arena around 5. And then for the Pacers, who typically play just after 7 p.m., the game's over by 9.30-ish. And most oftentimes, they're back in Indianapolis, landed and everything before midnight. Pacers landed in Toronto Friday afternoon. Game one is at 1230 Eastern time. So ahead of this round one series, I wanted to get some insight from the Toronto Raptors perspective. So we're going to talk with Michael Grange of Rogers Sportsnet, covers all things Raptors, to hear about this team that had a franchise best season. 56 wins, 32 home wins, 24 road wins, 11 straight wins on the season, 12 straight At home, and this team gets to the foul line. As we'll talk with Michael, this team averages almost 27 free throw attempts per game. All these are franchise records. They are led individually by Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, Jonas Valanciunas inside, and they're coached by Dwayne Casey. Subscribe to the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast on iTunes and on Stitcher. All you have to do is pull it up, search Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast, Click on us, click subscribe, and bam, every time a new podcast is up, you'll be the first one to get it. It'll automatically load in your podcast app on iTunes, and you'll be ready to go prepared for the next podcast. And if you like the podcast, would you do me a favor and please leave a review? That would be much appreciated. Onward we go. Here's my conversation with Michael Grange of Rogers Sportsnet. All right, I want to get schooled up on the Toronto Raptors before their series gets going Saturday afternoon in Toronto. So I'm pleased to be joined by Michael Grange of Rogers Sportsnet. I guess, Michael, first of all, what's the feel around this Raptors team from a a fan standpoint? Are they really rallying around this team after having the best season in franchise history, 56 wins, 26 losses, and a number two seed in the Eastern Conference? Yeah, absolutely, and especially now that the playoffs are finally here. I think uh, the recent history of this team is, you know, losing in the first round in the seven seven games to to Brooklyn uh, two years ago, and then last year just another collapse uh, against Washington. Uh, so this year, as much as people really began to get excited about the, the, the regular season as it unfolded, and they started knocking off all these benchmarks, etc. Uh, I think you know there was a little bit of of you know it really. You know, you have to wait to the. It really won't matter until you, they make the playoffs, and and that'll you know because it's a team that needs to get out of the first round. It, it hasn't had much history doing that at all. So, so now that it's here, and you've got this uh, just an outstanding uh, by Raptors standards regular season behind them, uh, people are excited. They think they. I think people believe in the team. I think they recognize it as a good team, and one that that we could and probably should. Uh, Get get at least to the second round, and, and could very quite likely make it all the East, all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. I think all of us saw uh, the excitement, the fan, the crowds outside of the arena in the last couple of playoff series. I was a surprise reading up on the Raptors. I was amazed to see they sold out all forty one home games, so the support has been there throughout the entire regular season, not just ahead of the postseason. 
Yeah, no, the, the, it's it's uh, it's a really good basketball market here, and it has been almost since the franchise um, was arrived in '95. And you know, certainly the last couple of years where they've been kind of pushing up on that 50 win mark and then breaking through this year, um, there is a really dedicated fan base, and they prove it by spending money on tickets and coming out. And I just saw something today that that of all the the uh, teams in the playoffs, the Raptors tickets are the mo- are the highest are the most in demand mm-hmm. you know, on the after sale market. So it's a really hot ticket in town. And there's a lot of enthusiasm by this team. They're just a kind of a cautiousness because, you know, they've had their fingers burned the last couple of years with first-round exits. So I think, you know, if this team comes out, wins game one, they haven't won game one in the last two years. And, uh, you know, they, they kind of show those signs that they're, they're, they are the better team in the series, which I think most people believe they are. Then, uh, then people. I, I think the roof will blow off this place. <laughs> I was going to say, is there any concern that if they say lost that first game once again, that the series would turn into the Pacers' favor? Of course, with the home court, and it'd be here we go again. You know what? <clears throat> I would say yes to that. Except this is just a different team. A different mindset. Maybe I'm drinking the Kool Aid. I don't know. And you talked today but, on Sportsnet.ca how you you feel this team has a great confidence around them. Yeah, they really do. I mean, I mean, they they uh, you know they've been to the playoffs three straight years. You've got guys who've had back to back All Star appearances. Uh, they've won past every conceivable conceivable test this season. And I think the real significant thing is they're a deep team. And all of a sudden, you've got you know they've had Lewis Scola, who kind of was given up for dead, you know, by mm-hmm. uh, the Pacers, for example, and he's emerged as a really solid uh, floor stretching uh, power forward. Um, you know, Bismarck Nyambo comes out of nowhere, and <clears throat> he's just exactly what they need in terms of a, a rim protector for the second unit. And he's proven serviceable starting at times. Uh, Corey Joseph, the hometown kid, comes from the Spurs. People think he gets this ridiculous contract. Turns out he's you know really proven himself to be a very solid backup who's finishing games for the Raptors. Um, you know, and then you get internal improvement and guys like Jonas Valanciunas. All of a sudden, this Norm Powell rookie kind of comes out of nowhere and he's been just dynamite the last month or six weeks. So uh, you know, so I think people believe in the team. And, um, you know, even if something happens tomorrow and they, they stub their toe in game one, I don't think people are going to panic. I've been impressed with the job that Dwayne Casey's done. I was looking at the longest tenured coaches in the NBA. There's Greg Popovich, Rick Carlisle, Spolstra. Number four on that list, Frank Vogel. Number five, Dwayne Casey. What's, what's one of his best attributes that, that you've applauded being around the team the last five years? Well, that's a great question. I, I would say... You know, I'm not really going to get into X's and O's because, you know, I think you're an NBA coach. You should be pretty good at that. I think what he really brings to me that's special is uh, kind of a, he's a very human guy, a very, uh, you know, a very easy guy to kind of relate to, talk with. And I would say minute to minute, day to day, his demeanor does not change. He just, um, it doesn't mean he's a softie or a pushover. He definitely can get pretty riled up when uh, occasion demands, but you know, he's just not one of these coaches who is kind of on a power trip. Like, he's he's there to work to make guys play better. He's a total basketball addict. That's all he really cares about in his life and in a good way. Like, it's not like he's a crazy obsessive. It's just his passion. And uh, and yet he still finds time to be a kind of civil, friendly, 
approachable person. And I think, you know, when you put that in the context of, of actually coaching a room full of rich young athletes, um, over time, all the gimmicks wear out. And I think the one, the guys who really succeed are the ones who can command respect by having good knowledge of the subject and being able to relate with people in a kind of upfront and, and, and fair way. And I think that's something that, that Dwayne comes very naturally to him. And I think, you know, the one thing you're seeing with the Raptors, you mentioned that tenure of coaching. There's a lot of continuity here. There's a real kind of culture that's taking place. And, uh, you know, and, and I think that only happens when the people who are responsible for building that foundation are good people. And, and I think Dwayne certainly qualifies in that respect. I always appreciate listening to him and interviewing him whenever he comes to Banker's Life the t- twice per year. And, and maybe that's, he appreciates his job maybe more after all the time he had to spend, all the years he had to spend rebuilding that image. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's been through it, right? Like, I mean, you're probably referring to, the stuff he got mixed up exactly in, uh, with yeah. the University of Kentucky, you know, he has to go to Japan and coach coach over there. Uh, spends years and years as an assistant. Um, you know, wins a ring as an assistant. Gets he actually does get a, a, a head coaching job in Minnesota. Gets fired with a 500 record halfway through his second season. The team's still trying to make the playoffs like 10 years later. Um, and then he gets hired after winning the championship as an assistant in Dallas here. And, you know, it was pretty dicey for him, right? The team wasn't real good. The general manager gets gets fired. Uh, you know, I think he only won 33 or 34 games the first year with, here with uh, or sorry, you know, and then, and then kind of things turned started to turn around. And then last year, he, uh, you know, they stumbled down a stretch and get humiliated in the playoffs. And I'll be honest, it did not look good for him uh, this time a year ago. But um, aside Jerry, to his credit, the general manager said, you know what, I'm going to give him a roster that's a little more suited to his coaching style, which is kind of more defensive emphasis, and uh, I'm going to choose continuity. And uh, it's, everyone's been rewarded by that. From a health standpoint from the Raptors heading into this series, any, any big concerns? Maybe just Damari Carroll because he only played 26 games this season because of that knee yeah, injury. I mean, that would be the wild card for sure. I mean, he had mid-season surgery. He's been back. I think he's played three games, maybe four, only on restricted minutes during that, that, that period. So there's a little bit of a question mark as to exactly how they're going to use him and, uh, and, and if they use him regardless of what role coming off the bench or whatever it might be, how many minutes they can actually rely on him. Uh, I think, you know, given the nature of his game, you know, they're not relying on him to create plays and split pick and rolls and all that kind of stuff. It really is just, he's just a kind of scrappy guy who hits open threes. Um, you know, I think, I think they're hopeful they can get some good useful minutes out of him. And certainly the reason they signed him was exactly to, to guard guys like Paul George. So, He'll be he'll be important, but after that, everyone's healthy. Kyle Lowry this time last year was a mess physically. Uh, he's kind of as healthy as you can be after this number of games, and uh, the guys are guys are feeling pretty confident. They were able to rest people down the stretch because they had their uh, position assured. So they're 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 in a good spot. The defensive battle in this one, the chess match that teams always like to talk about in the postseason, I think is a little bit intriguing. Pacers, third in defensive efficiency, Raptors are 11th, and then obviously the marquee matchup that we'll see is is Paul George and DeMar DeRozan. How do you see that one shaking out? Well, I'll be surprised if they cover each other very much. <laughs> um, or, you know, if anything, you might see Paul George kind of 
checking DeMar DeRozan, but I, I don't think they're, they're probably trying to get DeRozan away from Paul George. Uh, and, I, I, you know, I think the Raptors would be happy if they could saw that one off. And if that means they're able to contain DeRozan and, and, uh, and the Pacers, you know, sorry, the Raptors can contain Paul George, they'd be happy with that. If DeRozan ends up getting off, Paul George ends up getting off, so be it. But I think, I think the Raptors believe that they have a little bit more depth and options throughout their lineup. And so, uh, so if they can just break even on that matchup you mentioned, uh, they'll be okay. Yeah, the one concern for me when you talk about the Pacers is there's Paul George and then who? But for the Raptors, you got Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, even Valanchunas. I, I think he's underrated, especially against the Pacers and the damage that he can do inside. Yeah, that, that, I think that's true. I mean, he's not like a guy that they give as many possessions as a lot of people think they, he deserves. When he What he gets, he's very efficient. I mean, I think he's averaging about 12 or 13 points a game, and he probably doesn't take more than 9, and ten, nine or 10 shots, if that. So uh, he's got great hands, good finisher. He's an improved defensive player. Um, but the Raptors, you know, they, they've done a lot of damage in the regular season with kind of, um, you know, kind of mixing Lowry and DeRozan in with guys from their second unit, be it uh, Pat Patterson, Terrence Ross, uh, Bismarck Biombo at times, just as kind of a disruptor. And uh, they've had a lot of success with that. So, and then lately, it, you know, it's hard to imagine you might, uh, be relying or hoping to get a contribution from Norm Powell, who was the 46th pick in the, in the draft last year. Rookie of the he month now. He was just rookie of the month. Yeah. shooting. It's really interesting. He shot, I think, one of 14 from three in his first three months. He was just basically up and down for the D League. Every time he did see him up here, it was garbage time. He really didn't look very good. Uh, kind of a physical specimen. Um, but he got pressed in his service as a starter, found his, found his kind of rhythm. And when I remember when, when the Raptors beat by the Boston Celtics maybe three four weeks ago, and and uh, and Brad Stevens made reference to Norm Powell kind of hitting a couple of lucky shots. He says, "Well, he's one of fourteen from three. You know, that was the guy we wanted to shoot." Well, fast forward three four weeks, that guy was one of fourteen. He's shooting forty six percent in the last twenty games from three, and uh, he's just been devastating. Uh, you know, and he's really looking like he could be one of those fines that kind of. Mm-hmm. You know, when you get a guy in the second round who ends up playing like a lottery pick, you know, it can really tip the fortunes of a franchise. And um, so he's a guy that, that I think could be, end up being a bit of an X factor, too. It seems like to me he might be one of those unknowns in this matchup. He's a rookie. I kind of look at Miles Turner from the Pacers, sure. and you just yeah. never know what to expect from these guys, but he, he's coming off an excellent month 15 points and, and four rebounds per game. Yeah, no, he's been great. Like, you cannot. <laughs> Like, you know, I'm not kind of exaggerating. I'm, I'm watching this guy going, how did, <laughs> right? Every, you know, almost every team, every team in the league passed on him at least once, half the league passed on him twice. And I'm looking at him going, this guy's been in the league for 10 years. He's, uh, he's you know, so does that mean he's going to have a great series in his first playoffs? I don't know, but it won't because he's scared. I can tell you that much. One of the big conversations at practice for the Pacers this week was uh, the the ability of the Raptors to get to the foul line. And, I don't know if it was a push for the officials. Vogel's been known to do that against Miami several years ago. He talked about them flopping. Well, this year he emphasized how they really have to defend without fouling as the Raptors get to the line second most times in free throw attempts this season. Has that really been an issue for Raptors opponents throughout the year? Well, pardon me there. I mean, it's been a huge part of the Raptors' attack and their their identity, frankly. Um, I think they 
generated more points from the free throw line as a percentage than every every team in the league, except maybe the Minnesota Timberwolves, strangely. Um, you know, and it's really kind of informed the pace they play at. They rely on DeMar DeRozan or Kyle Lowry uh, getting to the line, getting whistles, slowing the game down, allowing them to get their defense set. It really is their how they control the pace of games um, beyond, obviously, the points they generate from it. Um, so that was kind of a point of conversation today here in Toronto was, you know, presumably in the playoffs, you, you're, you're not going to get quite the whistle you normally do. They, they may allow defenders to be more physical. They're not going to gift calls, so to speak. Not that, that, uh, the Raptors ever claim they get any, any calls from the Raptors. Uh, they're kind of paranoid that way, but, <laughs> but I mean, if, if it, it'll be interesting, that'll be a big test. I mean, I, I know last year everything went wrong, but one of the things they did struggle with is they didn't get calls. And DeMar DeRozan, who was kind of used to getting the line eight, nine, tens of the times of the game, all of a sudden wasn't. And all of a sudden he's just got a terrible shooting percentage with nothing to show for it. So I think they're better prepared, more experienced, and if they don't get that whistle, they'll, you know, their version of it is we'll just keep playing through and find our job is to find a way to score regardless. So, so I think that's going to be one of those. You know, each coach, I'm sure, is going to be working the refs in that respect. And, and uh, you know, the message from Dwayne Case will be, our guys are taking it to the basket and they're not getting calls. And I'm sure Frank Vogel's message will be, you know, we're not fouling and that's uh, that's a big part of our, our game plan. And, and, and whatever the side the refs favor, mm-hmm. the other side will, will complain bitterly. Michael, what's your uh, confidence level in the, the Raptors as far as closing out games? And why I bring that up is that's been a, a bad storyline for the Pacers all season. They're 9-9 nine and nine in games decided by a field goal, and they're 1-7 and seven in overtime games. Do the Raptors have a good hold on late-game situations? Yeah, I, I don't have those numbers off the top of my head. Uh, I would say the answer is yes. Um, part of that is, is, you know, I think... Arguably, I think the best player in this series is Kyle Lowry, and, and he is that good a point guard. I don't know if he's fully appreciated around the league, but he's, uh, you know, he, for my money, he's neck and neck with LeBron James as the Eastern Conference MVP. So, you know, he's, he makes games, he, you know, he, he organizes things late in games. DeMar DeRozan, as we discussed, I mean, he's a guy who can get to the line. He puts pressure on defense. You know, that mid-range game that gets a lot of criticism is certainly not in vogue right now. You know, down late in the game, late in the shot clock, you know, uh, a guy who can hit a fifth contested 15-footer is kind of useful. And then they play Torrey Joseph in those lineups a lot, and he's uh, he takes a lot of pressure off Lowry. So so I think their, their ability to close games is good. Um, so, you know, again, I, you know, all I can say is if you, if you look at this team based on what they accomplished in the regular season, it's really hard to kind of find areas where they're, they're really going to struggle. I do have to ask about Luis Scola just because he spent the last couple of years here. I know when the Raptors were here in Indy, the Pacers kind of rendered him useless while C.J. Miles was hot beyond the three-point line. How much of an impact do you expect him to have on this series? You know, it's interesting. Uh, he could, he, he's had a pretty interesting year. Uh, he had a few stretches. I mean, overall, like the guy I think in his career had made 10 threes before he signed here. And he's made, uh, he might probably have made 50 or 60 so far this, this year, and he shot over 40%. And he had some streaks where he was shooting in the high 40s, and it really corresponded with some successful play for the Raptors. Um, then he would kind of get a bit tired. Uh, you know, he is 35, 36 years old, and his percentages fell a bit. But once he got rested again, he's, kind of, he's been pretty good the last, the last couple of months, so, or six weeks, I'd say. 
uh, certainly since the All-Star game. So, um, you know, he, he's, his ability to contribute will be twofold. You know, can he stretch the floor and hit some threes? That's always useful. But what he's really emerged as, and I'm sure people in, in, in Indianapolis will understand, he's, he's one of the great gentlemen, one of the great leaders, uh, one of the great competitors in a good way in the NBA. Like he, he's, and I think he's really respected in that dressing room. He played with Kyle Lowry when they were, he was a kid in Houston. He played with Pat Patterson when he was a kid in Houston. And, you know, these guys understand the success he's had internationally. And his voice is one that really carries some influence in that room. And, uh, you know, I think, and, in, in, you know, does that mean he's going to be finishing games and running up 15-point fourth quarters? Probably not. But uh, I think he's had a positive impact on this, this team all season. Outside of Scola, who are the go-to voices in that locker room? When you post-game, something positive, negative happens, whose who's uh, locker stall are you going sure. to? Um, Pat Patterson, uh, really smart, maturing guy, really understands their ro- his role. And, and I think I think that's maybe the, the unsung story of this team is, is once they kind of accepted that they, their DNA was going to be forged around Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan and how they play, which is – it's not really in style, right? DeMar DeRozan's got an ISO heavy game, kind of those, kind of that mid-range game. Not, you know, he doesn't really play that classic. Uh, you know, you know, he's not shooting threes very much and stuff like that. And there's a lot, anyway, there's a lot of ball dominating, a lot of isolation basketball, which again is not the style right now. But once the Raptors accepted this was their best path to success, the real story has been the likes of Pat Patterson, <clears throat> Louis Scola. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas, mm-hmm. just accepting that their role in kind of as the, the planets in the orbit around the suns, so to speak, of of, uh, of Lowry and DeRozan. And, uh, you know, so so I think the, the chemistry on the team is very good for this, this reason, but uh, that reason. But I'd say Lowry's, you know, he's a leader just because who he is. DeMar DeRozan's been, you know, he's now like an old man. He's only, he's been, he's only 26 or 27. Um, so, you know, his voice carries a lot of weight. Scola, just for his experience, and he's just such a classy, smart guy. And Pat Patterson, who's, uh, you know, he comes off the bench, has really kind of led the way in terms of accepting his role and finding a way to excel. He's supposed to be a starter coming out of training camp. Scola beat him out, and uh, all he did was put together a career season. So, um, so those are those are kind of there is a strong leadership group among those guys. Last thing for you, Michael. I'm just curious from uh, Eastern Conference standpoint, is it kind of your thought that it will be Cleveland, Toronto in that Eastern Conference Finals? Well, it's hard to say that <laughs> as, a, as a as a Raptors uh, <laughs> based on all that guy, history. Because, yeah, you know, you're you're much more accustomed to dealing in heartbreak. But um, I think they are the second best team in the in the East. I think they are do have a puncher's chance of. Of advancing out of the East, um, not to take anything for granted, but you know, should they get by Indiana, which which I don't think they're, as I said, they're not taking it for granted. But if the seeds play out the way they're supposed to, um, it'll be a really interesting test against Miami, I think, because there's a kind of a pedigree team with so much history to it, and uh, you know, you know, they're, they're not going to go down easy, presuming they advance. So. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that, that it should be Toronto and, and uh, Cleveland in the Eastern Conference Final. But stranger things know, have happened. That's, uh, they got to they got to sort that one out on the floor. Very good. Will we see you in Indy next week? Yes, you will. Excellent. Appreciate it, Michael. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Thank you.
Game one set for Saturday, 12.30 Eastern time in Toronto. ESPN has the broadcast rights. Mark Jones, Doris Burke, Israel Gutierrez on the call of that one. Then games two and three are seen nationwide on NBA TV. That tells you how much respect and how many viewers are interested in seeing the Raptors and Pacers. Yeah, the Raptors are the second seed, but it's clear that they just don't get the kind of draw that the national networks are wanting. So the game's on NBA TV. Good news, though, for Pacer fans is that locally it's also on Fox Sports Indiana. So the regular crew, the same crew that called all 82 regular season games, Chris Denary, Quinn Buckner, Jeremiah Johnson have the call of that one. And then game four, the Pacers' second guaranteed home game of this first round series will be Saturday afternoon at 3 p.m. Because of this playoff game, Mumford and Sons having to move their concert to the following day at Bankers Life Fieldhouse, TNT will have the broadcast of Game 4 in Indianapolis. The great Marv Albert, yes, Chris Weber, and Kevin Ray on the call. My shout-outs to this week first and foremost go to Paul George and Monte Ellis. They started 81 games and could have played all 82 if they wanted to, but Frank Vogel and the coaching staff decided it was best for those guys to sit along with the rest of the starters in the regular season finale up in Milwaukee. So unfortunately, Paul wasn't able to get that goal of his from the beginning of the season, which was to play all 82 games. But still, his first full season back from that horrific injury, and he could have played 82 easily. Monte Ellis, same goes for him. He's the oldest player on the team at 30 years young. Just 18 players league-wide played in all 82 games and one of those was Bismarck Biombo for the Raptors. Second shout-out goes to Nike in their execution of Mamadeo, what they called it. Yeah, I know, it kind of got overkill with the coverage of Kobe. A lot of NBA fans loved it. It obviously, though, was well-received by basketball fans. Their execution of Mamba Day with Nike was just exceptional. They had that special conductor ad that I think we can all relate with. Uh, the shoes, every Nike affiliated NBA player wore special Nike Kobe shoes on that final day of the regular season. They had a Snapchat filter that was used over 2 million times. They had the t-shirt and other giveaways at the Staples Center all the way down to the freaking chopper. If you didn't see on social media, it's on my Twitter and Instagram. Kobe arrives in Los Angeles for home games in a chopper. That's because he lives out in Orange County, doesn't want to deal with traffic and He can afford it. He's made over $350 million from his playing career alone. And they wrapped that helicopter in a Nike and Kobe Bryant symbol. I thought the execution was flawless, and they did a great job. So congratulations to that Nike team for flawless execution. Again, please subscribe to the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher. We'll be back again next week after a couple of games in this series have played out, discuss what's going on favorably or negatively for the Pacers and how I see the series ultimately ending up. That'll do it for this episode of the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. Again, thanks to Michael Grange of Rogers Sportsnet. I hope you guys have a great weekend.